Israel, says the Lord God. There all the house of Israel, all of them in the land, shall serve me. There I will accept them. So the Lord will test the worthiness of those Jews who haven't been in Israel from around the world. He'll test their worthiness to enter into his kingdom and to receive the blessings of the new covenant. Concerning those deemed not to be worthy, he says, I will purge the rebels from among you and those who transgress against me. So remember we talked with the second coming of Christ how how uh, Israel as a nation is going to turn towards the Lord and we read all Israel will be saved. Their people are actually in Israel. So these are people coming now out of the other nations. Taken in its proper context, and I, I do have to say uh, sometimes when I sit in the congregation I, I listen to somebody who may be a visiting speaker and sometimes I hear this particularly from missionaries, are his verses that are sort of plucked from a place and yes, they have a meaning and they have an application, but it wasn't the meaning that they were written with. And so when we come through uh, Matthew 24, we've got the story of the, the tribulation and then coming into the second coming. And when we come into 25, we've got some of these things that we're talking about today. So let me give you the example of what I'm talking about the parable of the virgins. This is Matthew 25, 1 to 13. That parable is actually about this same idea of the separation of Jews at the time of Christ's return. Some will be ready and waiting. They're the five wise virgins with oil in their lamp. And others, the five foolish virgins uh, with no oil in their lamp, are going to miss out. They will not be able to enter when the king comes. To the foolish ones, the Lord will say, and this is Matthew 25, 12, Assuredly I say to you, I do not know you. Those who do come through this time of testing though and are accepted because of their faith in Yeshua, if their faith in in uh, Messiah, will enter the millennial kingdom still in their mortal bodies, of course. And they will live normal kingdom lives, working, having children, and according to Isaiah 65 and verse 20, they will live to a good age, although eventually they will die. The second group to be judged, and this one particularly has something to do with uh, uh, who we are, John, The second group to be judged are the Gentile nations. And uh, this will be the judgment of the sheep and the goats. Can you just move it on manually? system up there I think okay can you just close it down and reopen it then that'll be the the easiest just while that's happening as we're talking about the millennial kingdom this is going to be an amazing thing that will take place uh, upon the earth it's a time that we've never known of before and uh, for those of you who've been to uh, either of the morning sessions either here or this morning out at Jungaburra We've been talking about the world as it's moving right at this point. And if we could just try to imagine the world as it is now being completely changed around where it's not sin that's dominating, it's righteousness that's dominating. It's righteousness that is ruling the day. So that's what we're going to come to. Let me just go through... Righteousness will uh, will be dominating during that that particular point in time. So it's it's going to be a very different world. And uh, as I go through some of these these things, it's going to be you will be astounded at some of the things that are going to happen. Let me try now, John. Here we go. Yep, we'll move on.
Jews from all the nations. That's the one we talked about before. And now Gentiles from all the nations. These are the sheep and the goats that are referred to in Matthew 25, verses 31 to 34. And this is what it says. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So this is the time of judgment of the nations. Now the fate of the other group, the the goats, uh, who are judged unworthy to enter the kingdom, is seen in verse 41. And this is what it says. He will say to those on his left hand, or to the goats, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. So these are those who are rejected. But how will they be rejected? How will this judgment actually be made? What will be the standard by which one might be accepted or rejected? Well, this is the standard. It will be according to how they treated the Jews or Christ's brethren. The sheep are those who during the tribulation period come to the aid of Jewish people, especially those who witness for Christ. And we read this in Matthew 25 and verse 35, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in, and so on. So in the wicked environment of the tribulation, the fact that they helped the Jews at the risk of severe retribution, demonstrates their faith in God. And they are deemed worthy to enter into the kingdom. And Jesus makes the acknowledgement of their sacrifice for the Jews personal when he says this in verse 40, Inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. So this is talking about how we treat Jewish people. Unfortunately, sometimes people put this into a social context and they say, see, we should be caring for people and reaching out and visiting them. And all of those things are true, but that's not what those verses are saying. Those verses are written in the context of end times prophecy. And in this context, it's giving us the basis on which one will be judged uh, worthy to enter into the kingdom. So those Gentiles who are now uh, believers, the one who've looked after Jewish people, etc., are invited into the kingdom of God by the king himself. Now I want you to think about this kingdom then, because now we've got Jews and we've got non-Jews, which means everybody who's represented entering into the kingdom here, following this time of judgment, they are only believers. Every single human being who lives on into the millennial period is a believer in Messiah and uh, therefore uh, they're acknowledging him as king. As they carry on their lives, just as at any other time in history, uh, they will do uh, what people do, except for the presence of righteousness in the place of sin. They'll marry, they'll have families, they'll hold jobs, and they'll die as generation follows generation through the extended thousand-year period. So we're not into the eternal state yet. We are into a kingdom upon the earth at this point in time. So there are still people living in their bodies and living like we do as human beings, only all believers in our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, what's the second amazing thing that we're going to see? Well, the second thing is the millennial kingdom itself is going to be set up. And this is where it really starts to get exciting. 
There are many different Bible passages that speak of the millennial kingdom and uh, one of the best for us to have a look at is Isaiah 2, verses 2 to 4. And this gives us something of a summary. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we will walk in his paths. Now listen to this. For out of Zion, that's the Lord's hill, this is where the temple mount is. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. All wars will be over. All wars will be past. But these are still human beings. They're not in their glorified bodies. They still have the potential to sin, but they're all believers in Messiah. So he's going to rule them, and the scripture says he will rule them, and where necessary, he will rebuke them. Now, of course, a significant blessing in this new kingdom is the fact that Satan will no longer be able to promote sin in the world, for he will be, and this is from Revelation 20 and verse 2, he will be bound for a thousand years. Now as the kingdom period commences, there's a whole series of prophecies with which you and I are very familiar, which finally come to pass. These prophecies, there's that wonderful promise Jesus made at the Lord's Supper, for example. Sorry. Here we are, the one at the top. Matthew twenty six twenty nine. I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So when the Lord instituted what we call the Lord's Supper, but he was going through the uh, simply going through a, a Jewish a Passover Seder, a Pesach Seder, uh, and he said he wouldn't drink the fruit of the vine anymore until he drinks it in the kingdom. And, and now that time will have come. Daniel 7 and 14 foretells this. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. And then there's these verses from Isaiah which we're very familiar with, particularly at Christmas time. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom. You see, the throne of David is an earthly throne. Some people say, well, the throne of David is up in heaven. No, it's not. The throne of David was never in heaven. It's an earthly kingdom. And here's a descendant of David is going to sit on the throne of David and over his kingdom, an earthly kingdom. And it says to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. And Jerusalem is going to be the centre of worship for all nations. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came up against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. That's Zechariah 14 and verse 16. So those beautiful passages will all come to fulfilment as we enter into the kingdom. The next thing we see is that the glory of Messiah will come to the temple. Now, Ezekiel 10 
tells us that the glory of the Lord departed from uh, the temple uh, in, in Ezekiel's time. This was about 595 BC. And that was because of the sins of the children of Israel. But later, he foretold that the glory of God would return, passing through the east gate and coming to the temple. And this is what it says in Ezekiel 43, from verse 4 through to verse 7. And the glory of the Lord came into the temple by way of the gate which faces towards the east. The glory of the Lord filled the temple. Then I heard him speaking to me from the temple, and he said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne and the place of the soles of my feet, where I will dwell in the midst of the children of Israel forever. So this is a real throne in Jerusalem and a real kingdom where Christ is ruling. Now, why is it so interesting to us to talk about this east gate or the golden gate. Well, it's sealed shut. When you look at it now, that's how you see it. That's a photograph that I took looking across the Kidron Valley, which is this little part uh, that's a bit green here. And uh, uh, there's a roadway just in, in front of me right here. And then there's a Muslim cemetery behind that. And then there's the Golden Gate or the East Gate, but it's all sealed shut. Of course, we shouldn't be surprised at that because God's word tells us that it would be sealed shut. Ezekiel 44 and verse 2 says this, And the Lord said to me, This gate shall be shut. It shall not be opened, and no man shall enter by it, because the Lord God of Israel has entered by it. Therefore, it shall be shut. Now, some commentators suggest that the entry uh, of the Lord God of Israel refers to the triumphal entry of Christ on Palm Sunday. Now, while the Gospels don't specifically mention the East Gate, we do know that it is located directly across the Kidron Valley from the Mount of Olives. And uh, for those of us who, who get the privilege of going to Israel, and if you haven't had that privilege yet, and you can, I'd really encourage you to do it. But we will stand on the Mount of Olives and we will look down across the Kidron Valley and we'll look at this gate. And so the east gate that existed in Jesus' time was probably the gate through which Jesus gained uh, access to the city after visiting his friends in Bethany, which is on the southeast side of the Mount of Olives. There's a website called the Mount of Olives, and it tells us this. This is this will give you a bit of history here. In the mid-1500s, after the Ottoman conquest of Israel, the existing walls around the old city were erected by Sultan Suleiman. He's known as Suleiman the Magnificent. At that time, the sheikh ordered a Muslim cemetery placed directly in front of the east gate, postulating that the high priest could not enter through the east gate, given that a high priest was not permitted permitted to touch the dead. He knew that when Messiah would come back, the prophecy said he had, had to enter through that gate. So he put a cemetery across the front saying, well, if this man is a holy man, the Messiah, the, the, the high priest, he wouldn't be able to come through here because there's dead bodies buried here. And that's how he tried to prevent the idea of Messiah coming back to Jerusalem. And so he ordered it sealed up as well. The East Gate, it goes on to say, holds special uh, interest with Jews, Christians and Muslims as the place of final judgment. Jews identify Messiah's arrival with the East Gate. Muslims place God's final judgment at this location. And Christians link Christ's entry into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday and the second coming also with this gate. So this is a very significant place. And uh, I, I just love to go there. 
and uh, we're just in the process of organising exactly what we're going to do uh, with the, the tour group. We're going to take uh, October, November. And uh, I, I want to do what I did when I, the first time I went there, where we all stood together. There were 200 of us, and we all stood together there, and we sang a song. And the song says, Baruch Haba B'Shem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And there's actually a song with those words in it. Baruch Haba B'Shem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And, and uh, I just I just love that when we stood there and we, we sang that song thinking the time is coming. Right here, exactly where we're standing, the Lord is coming back. And then he's going to enter that gate just across the way. Now, Ezekiel chapter 40 through 48 suggests that a new temple is going to be built. Uh, this will be the millennial temple. And here's a part that we don't fully understand. We know it because it's in God's word. We don't fully understand it. And I'm telling you that right up front before I get any questions about it. It says there's going to be animal sacrifices. And we, we don't understand why animal sacrifices might recommence in that temple in the millennium. Some have suggest, suggested that it may be a memorial. It's to remind us uh, this, our king had to die. There was a time when he gave his life and this is a memorial. Some have suggested that might be what it's about. Others have suggested that it might be part of the cleansing of the temple ready for it to be used by Messiah himself. We don't know. But we do know God's word tells us this is going to happen. So while we can't explain it, we, we acknowledge it because it's in God's word. All right, here's the next thing to tell you about. Messiah will rule over the whole earth with his saints. There's going to be a great, a great multitude of glorified saints, that's including you and me, who have returned to earth with Christ. We'll already be in our glorified body. The scripture says, when we see him, we shall be like him. We're going to have a body like him. As his body was glorified after he raised, was raised from the dead, our bodies also will be changed in resurrection. At the time of the rapture of the church, those who have died, uh, or those who are asleep, which is the euphemism used in the scripture, uh, they are going to be raised first. Their spirits will come with the Lord from heaven and then their bodies will be raised and reunited and they'll have a glorified body. They'll be identifiable, but something will be different about their body because this is a body that will never die. Those who are alive and remain, Paul says, they're going to be changed in an instant, in a moment, uh, in an atom, it says, and uh, we also will receive glorified bodies at that time. So there's this great multitude of glorified saints will have returned with Christ to the earth and this will also include the tribulation saints and uh, this is what the scripture says of them. They were beheaded for their witness to Jesus and to the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Now I love that. They lived, so they're alive. They've been resurrected and reigned with Christ. He's the great king. Here's those who are part of his kingdom who are going to help him in running this great kingdom. Those who gave up everything to follow Jesus as his first disciples are going to receive the promise the Lord made to them. Matthew 19:28. Assuredly, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Also, according to Daniel two, and uh, sorry, Daniel twelve and verse two, and also verse thirteen, with the return of Christ. The faithful saints of the Old Testament will arise to their inheritance. That's what it tells us at the end of the, of the, of the days. 
Now what shall all these redeemed do? Well, once again, as I tell you, keep everything in its context. According to Matthew 25, in this context it applies to the kingdom, we will receive responsibilities in keeping with our faithfulness in this life. Our faithfulness to all the gifts that God gave to us. So it should be the deepest desire of each one of us, both today and in that coming day, to hear the Lord say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. These things come to pass in the kingdom. Have you ever wondered about that? What the Lord was talking about there? If we are faithful with what God has given us, according to that faithfulness, God will give us the reward of working for him, being part of the administration of his kingdom. Well, with only those who are saved upon the earth, along with the redeemed of all the ages we've just been talking about, it's likely that this is the time when the marriage supper of the Lamb will take place. And uh, so it will take place in the early part of the kingdom. But wait, there's more. A remarkable life-giving river is going to flow from under the threshold of the temple. Now I get very excited about this because of one of the stories that I'm going to read to you in just a moment. And then we get to take people to this exact place and their, their, their eyes are boggled when they look at it as it is now and they think of what the, the scripture says is going to happen there. So let me just tell you about this. Zechariah 14 verses 8 and 9 tell us that living waters will flow from Jerusalem. Now, Ezekiel saw this same stream, these living waters, and he says it flowed out from under the the threshold of the temple towards the east. Now, if you know anything about the geography of uh, Israel, uh, I'll I'll turn this way, Uh, Jerusalem is up on a plateau, and towards the east you have the Jordan Valley. So if water is going to flow from here towards the east, it's flowing towards the Jordan Valley. So it began at the place of Messiah's throne as a spring, and then it flowed, and in what Ezekiel says, it came up to his ankles, then it came up to his knees, and then up to his waist, and it became a great river that could not be crossed. In verse 8, he tells us that this water will then flow down towards the east, into the Dead Sea. And this is what it says. When it reaches the sea, its waters are healed. It shall be that every living thing that moves, wherever the rivers go, will live. There will be a very great multitude of fish, because these waters go there, for they will be healed, and everything will live wherever the river goes. Now, if you even just go on the internet and have a look at pictures of the Dead Sea as it is now. The Dead Sea is actually, uh, the level of the sea is actually falling. Uh, they won't get to the bottom of it because it goes down uh, over a, a thousand feet in the measurement that they, they have used there. But the water level is dropping. And all around the edge you've got all of these mineral salts deposited on the edge. And if you go for a swim in the water, you've got to go in backwards. Because if you go in forwards and you, you, you go down into the water, it's almost impossible to turn yourself around because it's so buoyant. And it's very dangerous to go in face first because if it gets in your eyes, it feels like there's daggers in your eyes. If you've got any little cuts on you, oh man, doesn't it sting? Why? Well, the salinity of the Dead Sea is about 34%. That's 10 times the salinity of the oceans. That's why it's so buoyant. Psalm 46 and verse 4 speaks of this river that will go out from under the temple like this. A river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. And then the psalmist reminds us of the blessings and the majesty of this great God. And in verse 9 of Psalm 46, he says this, He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. 
He breaks the bow and he cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So this is God talking about what will happen and is given to us through Psalm 46. So what a difference it makes, even to nature, when the king has come. Because now Israel's millennial promises are going to be fulfilled. First one, establishment of the boundaries of Israel. Genesis 15 and verse 18 tells us the boundaries would be from the river of Egypt in the south right up to the mighty Euphrates in the north and these boundaries have never ever been achieved in all of Israel's history to this point. But God promised it. God never wastes a promise. If he's promised it, it will happen. And we believe it's going to happen in the millennial kingdom. And that will be something like, we don't know exactly where those territories are because we don't know where some of those ancient peoples live. But Israel will be something like that as a nation in that day. And not only that, they are going to receive a very special blessing of being the most favoured nation. Now, they've always been the chosen people of God. Yes, they became disobedient and they went away, but God made promises, irrevocable promises, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to the people of Israel. And Zechariah 8, verses 22 and 23 tells us, many peoples... And strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to pray before the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days ten men from every language of the nations shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man, saying, let us go up with you, for we have heard that God is with you. At the same time, all over the whole earth there will be things not witnessed before among people, at least not since the time uh, of the Garden of Eden. This will be a different world to live in. All of the good and the righteous and the godly things we have ever desired for our own lives, for our families, for our grandchildren, these things will be evident in abundance in the Millennial Kingdom. So, There's going to be holiness. There's going to be peace. And you see the words there. Nation shall not lift up nation against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Uh, There will be changes in the environment. No matter what you think about uh, the environment as it is today, uh, there are going to be changes and the environment is going to be quite beautiful. There will be justice. There will be longevity of life. There will be harmony in nature. And wild animals will no longer be wild animals. You think that's not possible? Have a look at this. The wolf also shall dwell with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion and the, the fatling together and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze. The young one shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole and the weaned child shall put his hand in the viper's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Now that's a remarkable little video you just saw there. And that's something that's already taken place. Uh, that's a, he's a South African man. Uh, he raised uh, those lions from when they were young. They're still wild lions and he has released them. And, uh, but they love him. And they come and they do all those things that you just watched there. Now I play that simply to say, if you don't think it's possible to cuddle a lion... When the Millennial Kingdom comes, you're going to get your opportunity because it'll be things 
something like that. And this incredible phase of the kingdom will last for a thousand years. Revelation chapter 20 from verses 2 to 7 says a thousand years six times. Six times it says a thousand years. I remember once I met with a pastor and I was talking with him and he said, oh, we're in the millennium right now. I said, really? He said, yes, the millennium lasts from the first coming of Christ to the second coming of Christ. And I said, well, I've got a problem with that because that's already two millenniums. So what's, he said, it doesn't matter. It only represents a long period of time. I said, well, why would you say it only represents a long period of time when it says a thousand years, six times? And he said, well, it, it doesn't say a thousand years six times. It, it just, it, it talks about a thousand years, but it's just talking about a long time. And I said, my Bible says six times. And this is the honest truth. He got his Bible out and he turned it up and he went, table of me, and I'm not exaggerating this, and he said, why would it say a thousand years? Well, probably because it's a thousand years. Six times it says a thousand years, so I'm not going to be saying to anybody, this represents just a long period of time. This is what we call the millennium. This is the kingdom that is to come, and it's going to last for a thousand years, because that's what the word of God says. It's as simple as that. However, As this thousand years concludes, we're not quite at the end of it. Satan is going to be released from the abyss for a short period of time. He's going to go out to deceive the nations and he'll gather a large group of unsaved people to bring them against Jerusalem. And you're saying, hold on a minute, you said it was only saved people who went into the millennium. Yes, that's now at year zero and going into the thousand years but there are families being born. People still need to be converted. They still need to place their faith in Messiah. And by the time we get to the thousand years, there are some who are going to be influenced by Satan who are going to rebel against the Lord. And this rebellion shows us that man's basic problem through all the ages, uh, even in the best of environments, has to do with an unregenerate heart. That's the problem. Let me quote from a book by the name of Understanding uh, End Times Prophecy by Paul Benware. And he sums it up beautifully. He says, These rebels have lived in Messiah's kingdom, a near perfect environment. They cannot claim poverty, a lack of knowledge, bad circumstances, or an unfair judicial system as reasons for the rebellious behaviour. Their problem is their sinful heart. This event underscores the truth that when given the opportunity to rebel against the Lord God, sinful man will do it every time. Well, we're told in Revelation 20 and verse 9 that the rebellion will be put down absolutely by God because fire is going to come out from heaven and devour, it says, those who are rebellious. The devil now is going to be cast into the lake of fire where the beast and the false prophet are. They've already been there for a thousand years and it says, and they they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So there is an eternal punishment. As for the other things that take place at this time, well, Revelation 20 from verse 12 to 15 tells us of the final judgment of the unsaved dead. And John writes this, I saw the dead small and great, standing before God, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things that were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So this is what we refer to as the final 
judgment or the great white throne judgment. All that is sinful or rebellious has now been removed and it's going to now be replaced as John tells us as we go into Revelation chapter 21. He says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And the Apostle Paul tells us what happens now as we go into the eternal state. In 1 Corinthians 15, 24 to 26, it says, Then comes the end when he, that is Christ, delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign till all uh, enemies, sorry, till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. So Paul is speaking here of the transition from the millennial phase of the kingdom of God into the eternal phase with new heavens and a new earth. If I get to come back here again, perhaps next time we'll talk about heaven. We'll talk about where heaven is now. This is a little bit of what I've written uh, on here in, in this blog. And then we'll talk about the new heavens and the new earth because the scripture has a lot to tell us about that as well. So what does it all mean to us as we wrap this up? Well, there's a general message here, first of all, and that is that God's authority will be recognised in all the earth. He is the only true God. The word of God will be fulfilled. No matter what is happening in the world today, no matter who comes against Christ or against the word of God, God is on the throne and this will take place because God has said it will take place. Secondly, God's promises will all be fulfilled. He's faithful down to the last detail. And when he gives us details like dates and times, and he shows he's God. Nobody else could possibly know these things in the, that were in the distant future when they were written. It also shows us evil will not triumph. God himself alone is sovereign. And then the intermediate kingdom will lead into eternity. This is an everlasting kingdom. What's the personal message that we can take from this? Well, friends, first of all, keep faith in God. Don't give up on God because God won't give up on you. Keep on serving him. Keep loving people. Keep going. Keep sharing God's word. watching because the best is yet to come the best is yet to come let's pray heavenly father almighty God even just to call you our father when we say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. You are so far above man. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Your ways are higher than our ways. And sometimes we think we've got it all together and we've got control over life. And, and then we understand that we are finite. We're really very weak. We are subject to decay and loss of strength and all of those things that come with being human.
And yet, O Heavenly Father, in your love, in your grace, in your mercy, in your compassion, you sent your Son, our Saviour, Yeshua, the Messiah, the one who would come and give his life upon the cross so that we, by faith in him, would be restored to you, our Creator. Thank you, dear God, for your love and your grace. Thank you that you've shown us you know the end from the beginning. Thank you that you give us an opportunity to look at this panoramic view all the way from creation through to recreation and you help us to understand these things are all planned out in your word. May none of us go to our homes tonight the same. May we go confidently. May we go with our eyes set on you, looking forward to what you have for us. And may we ever remember, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. May your strength rise up in us and may we be your servants, both now and then ultimately in that kingdom that is to come. We long to hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Thank you that we even have that privilege. In Jesus' name.